Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, how should we view worldly wealth? You recognize these names. Andrew Carnegie, J.D. Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, Leland Stanford, Cornelius Vanderbilt. They were the titans of oil and steel, of finance and timber and of railroads in the 19th century. They also left a legacy of philanthropy with foundations and institutions, libraries and universities named after them. And yet we might very reasonably and rightly question some of their business practices as being unethical, illegal, even immoral. Some might say that these powerful leaders brought order to the chaos of the Industrial Revolution and helped turn America into a 20th century powerhouse. Others might call them robber barons, getting ahead in the world any way that they could and then buying their legacies with ill-gotten gains. But whichever way you want to spin their biographies, it's very hard to say that they were anything but shrewd businessmen. They knew the ways of the world, and they knew how to use them to their advantage. And so was the dishonest manager in Jesus' parable. He knew the ways of the world. He knew how to focus the resources that were available to him to make his way through life, no matter what obstacles might be thrown his way. When he's faced with losing his position as manager or steward of the rich man's estate, he gets a flash of insight. He's too weak to do manual labor, and he's too proud to become a beggar, and so he comes up with another plan to secure his future. While he's still in control of his employer's books, he has each of the debtors come in and meet with him. And he tells them to write out a new IOU, ones for smaller amounts. Now, this may not sound ethical to us, but it was a common practice within the day's business system. And so after this steward is fired, these debtors might feel an obligation to him, an obligation of gratitude to help him out when he's down. In fact, his boss even commends him for his shrewdness. Now, he wasn't necessarily approving or condoning these actions as being right, but the rich landowner could see the logic and the wisdom of it. So what is Jesus teaching us here? He can't be saying something to the effect of, well, just cook the books and make things right so you can get ahead in the world. No, that would go against everything that the Bible teaches us about stealing. Listen instead to how Jesus applies the lesson. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The dishonest manager did all that he could with the worldly wealth that he controlled in order to ease his life's situation. He viewed his master's wealth as a tool, a tool for his benefit. 
So how much more so, how much more so should we, we who are children of the light, view worldly wealth as simply a tool and not a goal? We can do this because instead of being fixated on earthly goals, we have eternal objectives. We no longer live in darkness. We've been brought into the light of Christ, and we radiate outwardly with his forgiving love. And so we manage the earthly things with our eyes on eternity. So then how do we gain eternity Friends for eternity, as Jesus says and describes. How are we to use this earthly wealth as merely a tool while keeping our eyes fixed on eternity? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal dwellings. Is Jesus telling us to buy our friends? not in the normal way that those words would be used. He does not mean to buy friends like the prodigal son did in Luke 15. You'll recall that in that story, the son used his inheritance, his share of it, that is, to to party hard. But when that money was gone, his fellow partiers proved to be fair-weather friends, and they left him alone to feed pigs. He'd had his eyes set on just how much fun he could get out of this life, and so he bought temporary friends. That's not what Jesus means here. With our eyes set on eternity, we have a totally different mindset of what it means to use earthly wealth to gain eternal friends. For we are not looking for friends for just to hang out with here in this life for a little bit of time on earth. Rather, we are looking for friends for eternity. And so we are always to manage the earthly with an eye on eternity. Maybe the first thing that ought to come to mind when we hear these words is using our earthly wealth to support the mission that Jesus assigned to his church. As the gospel of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins and for the granting of eternal life is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit changes hearts. Newly baptized Christians, not only here in our own congregation, but throughout the whole world, become our brothers and our sisters in Christ. As long as we continue in the faith, they will be our friends for eternity, even if we do not meet them personally here in this life. But there's a lot more here as well. All that we have belongs to the Lord. Our money, our belongings, our time, our work, our play, our talents, every last bit of it. We are only the managers or the stewards of it. We are not the owners. And it's not only the relatively paltry amounts we put in the offering plates that He wants us to manage faithfully. We are to properly and faithfully care for everything that he's entrusted to us. But that doesn't mean putting 100% into the offering plate either. God has given us vocations, such as caring for our families and fulfilling our obligations in this world. The questions which you should be asked as you spend your money or save it is this. Do you have eternity 
in your sights. You see, doing that, it changes your attitudes and your motives and your goals. Yes, we still need to spend our money on the necessities of life like food and clothing. We still spend some of it for at least a few of the many luxuries and conveniences available to us. And some of it we spend on fun and recreation. We save for our retirements as well. But look at the change that takes place inside of us as we manage the earthly things with our eyes on eternity. We no longer see these things as ends in themselves. We don't work just to have food on the table or just to have fun on the weekend. We don't save for retirement only because we want to live it up after our working years or because we're fearful of being a burden on our family. No, when our eyes are set on eternity, we see all of our life as service to our Savior by serving our neighbor. It becomes a daily opportunity to share His love. And so money and stuff are just tools, earthly tools. As we provide for our families or we help a fellow Christian in need, we see our Savior's face in them. Whatever you do for these, the least of my brothers, you do unto me, Jesus said. And as we interact with the world or we have fun with our friends, we see those around us as fellow souls, those for whom Jesus also died. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we make our pilgrimage through this earthly life using our worldly wealth, we can keep our eyes open for those of us all around us who still need to hear the wonderful news and to be invited to join us on our heavenly upward journey. As we use our money, we come into contact with the people of this age who are lost in darkness, and we can let them see the light of Christ. Remember that the Son of Man came to seek the lost, and to save them. With our eyes on eternity, we manage our earthly wealth in ways that others may share eternity with us. That's not buying friends. That's winning friends for Christ. Friends for eternity. So manage the earthly with your eyes on eternity. But we're not always faithful managers, are we? How badly we fall short here Ask yourself, have I been a faithful manager of all that has been entrusted to me? When you've used the resources that are entrusted to you, is it always with Christ firmly and foremost in your mind and your heart? Do you always have eternity in your eyes? Or do you often get caught up in trying to find joy in the things of this life? Do you not consider God's creation of and provision of and rightful claim on everything? Do you give any regular thought to why and to how much you should be returning to Him to further His kingdom? Or do you wiggle around and squirm and avoid contemplating that because it makes you fearful or uncomfortable or even embarrassed? Don't try to kid yourself and Excuse yourself into thinking, well, if I have the wrong attitude with my money, what's the big deal? It's only money after all. It'll all be passing away. 
I'll be more careful with the important things. Remember what Jesus said a little later on. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? God sees this in the way we handle our earthly wealth. Wealth which, of course, really belongs to Him. Our attitudes and our behavior in this matter shows who our true Master is. Either we are serving God or we are serving money and the things that money can buy. Either we are trusting God for all that He has done and all that He has promised, or we are trusting what finances can do for us. We cannot have it both ways. No servant can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What a difference Jesus makes for us. How desperately we need Him. Our unfaithfulness condemns us. But Jesus' righteousness and faithfulness justifies us. He has broken the tyranny of sin and temptation that has enslaved us. In His blood you have forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, you have freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of fear, of obsession, and love of worldly wealth. Freedom to serve your God and to serve all the neighbors around you that He has given you. All because Jesus has redeemed you. You are children of the light, and you know the love of the only true God, the God that gave His only begotten Son. You know God's love that shines forth from the cross of Christ. So live as children of the light. Manage your earthly things with your eyes on eternity. Think of it. The eternal God gave His Son into death for you. That eternal Son, fully God, died for you. Such love and such sacrifice He showed to us while you and I still serve money as our Master. Yet how could His love fail you? For you are His baptized child of the light. He has secured eternal treasure for you, conquering death, raising Himself from the dead. And having won such great heavenly eternal treasures for you, Will not He also provide all that you need for your body and soul in this life as you need them? This good news enables us to be faithful managers of the earthly things God has placed in our hands. Rather than being mastered by our money, we use it for Him. With our confidence in His care, both in time and in eternity, we can use our earthly things for His glory, to serve Him, to bring others close to honor His name, to gain those friends for eternity. Your name may never be engraved on a library or given to university like Vanderbilt or Stanford or Rockefeller and the like, but in the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, you have been given an eternal legacy, one that will last long after this world is in ashes. So serve the Lord 
Jesus Christ, for you are his blood-bought people. Manage the earthly with your eyes on eternity. In the name of our priceless treasure, Jesus Christ, amen.